Well, let's talk about sex, shall we? <laughs> sex is everywhere. Oh, is that only the nines? Sex is everywhere. Sex is even here right now, which is kind of funny. Sex is in the movies. Sex is in the TV shows. Sex is in the magazines at the servos. Get my rhyme on. Um, people are talking about sex all the time at school. Um, pretty much every second song on the radio. Um, sex is absolutely everywhere. Uh, and in our society, it's portrayed as this exciting, fun, naughty kind of thing. But if you ask this question to a mate, what do you reckon they'd say? What does God think about sex? I reckon they might say that God is against sex. Whether they're a Christian or not, they might have a view that God is actually not for sex. He's against sex. Um, Doesn't he have heaps of rules about it? Doesn't he just want to stop us having fun? Doesn't God think sex is like dirty and unholy and you shouldn't talk about it? When you, think of, when you ask this question, what does God think about sex? I reckon you just think of a posh British person who's like, Oh no, yucky, don't talk about that, very dirty, sex is dirty. I reckon that's what people think when they think about what God thinks of sex. And this might shock you though, but God and the Bible is not against sex. God thinks sex is awesome. Does that surprise you? Let me prove to you that God is not against sex. Imagine an artist, right? And of course, his name is Giuseppe, because every artist's name is Giuseppe. And if you consider yourself an artist here tonight, your name is not Giuseppe, you're going to have to change your name. You you all know that. Um, But Giuseppe, he loves creating artworks. Look at him. Look at him. He's loving it. All right? He's a creative guy, and making art is what Giuseppe does. He's really good at it. And he loves the art that he creates. In fact, wouldn't it be weird if Giuseppe didn't like the art that he created? He just would stop making art, yeah? Well, God is creative too. And God created sex. Have a look. This is, I'm going to read to you from the second chapter of the Bible. This is what it says. Genesis 2, 24. That is why a man... Ooh, That is why a man leaves his father and mother and is united to his wife, and they become one flesh. This is the second chapter of the Bible, and in this chapter, God creates the man, Adam, and then he creates very shortly afterwards the woman, Eve. And here, straight away, we have Adam and Eve getting married and having sex. They are united together, it says, which means they get married, they come together, they're united, and then they become one flesh, which means Adam and Eve come together in marriage and have sex. They become one flesh. God created people and he created sex. And so if God was against sex, that would be like Giuseppe the artist being against art. And that doesn't make sense. Why would an artist be against art? And why would the creator God be against the very thing that he intentionally made? If there's anyone who's not against sex, it's God. If he's the one who created it, why would he be against it? And so there's something confusing then. 
Because sometimes it seems like, at least to us, it seems like God is against sex. So why does it seem like that? Why does it seem like the one who created it is against it when the Bible is clear that he's not? Well, imagine if sex was a car, all right? And if, if sex was a car, this is what God thinks of sex, yeah? It's impressive. It's special. It's a big deal, and it's something to be held in high regard. And if, if you've got that, right, if you've got that, and some random kid at school says, hey, can I borrow it, are you going to lend it out to him? No, way. If you've got that, there's, it's, it's, this thing is way too special, and this thing should be honored and cherished and looked after. You can imagine if you had that, everybody, think about this, right? If you actually had that car, you can imagine, it would make sense that you would have a few ground rules about how it should be used, because it's so good, (laughs) all right? Now, this is how our society thinks about sex. Yeah, I know, right? It's sad. This, This is not a special thing. This is not a special thing. It's no big deal. It's pretty unimpressive. And you, it's so unimpressive, you would lend it out to anyone. It doesn't really matter. Because even if they crash it, it's not like it was worth anything in the first place. That's how our society thinks about sex. And so when, when people hear about how God says sex should be used, to them it just sounds crazy. Sex is that. Sex isn't that first car. So when they hear about how God thinks of sex, they think, oh, it just sounds so boring and it's just a bunch of rules. It sounds like God's just out to ruin our fun. But that's not it at all. It's far better to be driving the sweet Ferrari than this old bomb. Yeah? And see, God has given us a Ferrari. He said, all right, I've made this Ferrari and I love it. It's awesome. This is how you should use it. This is how you should and shouldn't use it. This is what you should do with it and what you shouldn't do with it. Because he knows that you can have heaps more fun with an epic Ferrari than an old dodgy car. So God, he's not out to ruin our fun. He has rules about sex, yes, but so that we would enjoy it more. And so that we would use it rightly. And so that we don't take this and turn it into this. God created sex, and He knows how it should and shouldn't be used. And He wants us to use it rightly. And so then you've got to ask the question, well, uh, He wants us to use it rightly, but what does He actually say about sex? What does God have to say about sex? I've got two big things for you guys tonight, and the first one is this. Sex is made for a husband and his wife. So Matthew chapter 5, verse 27, we saw it before. Jesus says, um, this is Jesus speaking, and he he quotes uh, one of the Ten Commandments. And he says, you have heard that it was said, you shall not commit adultery. Now, what is adultery? Adultery is to have sex with someone who you're not married to. Um, So sex is to be between a husband and a wife. Our society says that that's not the case. Our society says that um, 
you can have sex outside of marriage. You can have sex with whoever you want. But that's not the case. It's, it's, that's not okay. That's not how God designed and created sex to be. It wasn't designed to, to be between a boyfriend and a girlfriend or between friends or between random strangers at a club. Um, sex was made for a husband and his wife. Now, I'm going to assume that all you guys know how babies are made. Um, now, when uh, ask your mum or your dad later. Uh, sex here, when, when, when the Bible talks about sex, um, sex here doesn't just mean the baby-making act, all right? It's anything sexual. Okay, this is really important. It's not just the baby-making act, it's anything sexual. So when is something sexual? Well, it's when it, when it um, involves lust. And so Matthew chapter 5, verse 28, the next verse, he, Jesus says, I tell you that anyone who looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery with her in his heart. Jesus says that um, looking at someone and, and desiring after them passionately, wanting their body passionately, that's what lust is. He says that's committing adultery. That's like sleeping with someone who's not your wife or your husband. So it's not just having sex that is for a husband or wife. It's anything sexual. It's anything that will make you lust. Anything that will make you desire after someone passionately, desire after them and their body. And so if, if you've got a boyfriend or a girlfriend, um, you guys aren't meant to have sex. And you're also not to do sexual stuff together. You're not, made, you're not meant to do anything that will make the other person lust after you. So I'll give you a couple of examples. So where you put your hands, there are certain places where you shouldn't put your hands. Or kissing heaps. If you're making out with someone, it's most likely going to cause you to lust. It's going to make you desire after them and want them like, like they're your husband or your wife. But they're not. You guys get the point? It's anything that makes you lust after them. Now, why is this? Why, does, why doesn't God want us to be involved in sexual stuff until we're married? Well, it's pretty simple. It's because that's how it was made to be used. And that's what's best. And God only wants what's best for us. Will you trust Him? Will you listen to what He has to say about sex and obey him? Or will you think you know better than God? Sex is made for a husband and a wife. That's the first big thing that uh, we see in the Bible. And the second big thing is that Christians are to flee from sexual immorality. 1 Corinthians 6.18 says, flee from sexual immorality. Pretty straightforward. God wants us to be holy when it comes to sex. He wants us to avoid sexual immorality, which is um, using sex the wrong way, using it in a different way to how God made it to be used. So for instance, like we just saw before, um, God made sex to be between a husband and his wife. And so sex that is between um, a man and a woman who aren't married, that's sexual immorality. Or sex that's between two men or between two women or between boyfriend and girlfriend, 
that's all sexual immorality because it's outside of the way that God created it to be used. And so, say you have a boyfriend or a girlfriend, um, you guys shouldn't touch each other sexually. That's to be kept for marriage, so you should flee from that. If masturbation is an issue for you, that's sexual immorality because it's causing you to lust after someone who's not your husband or your wife. It's sexual immorality. If you look at porn, that's sexual immorality because it's causing you to lust after someone who's not your husband or your wife. Do you guys remember the Sermon on the Mount at Fat? Jesus says, um, after he says this about um, if your eye causes you to sin, he's talking about lust, and then he says, if your eye causes you to sin, did I say that right? If your eye causes you to sin, gouge it out. So porn is sexual immorality because it's thinking about sex with someone who you're not married to. And that's not how God made sex to be used. So all this stuff is meant to be avoided because like we saw in 1 Corinthians, Christians are to flee from sexual immorality. And now a, a really common question that comes up for people when talk about this sort of stuff is, well, I've got a, I've got a girlfriend or a boyfriend how far can we go before it's sexual immorality? How far can we go before we're displeasing God? Now, think about this. Why are you asking that question? Are you asking it because you want to make sure that you please God when it comes to this stuff? Or is it because you want to know how much you can get away with? Don't let it be that second one. It's like this, right? Imagine you're covered in petrol. And when you're covered in petrol, you should be avoiding fly, fire. You should flee from fire. And you ask the question, how close to the fireplace can I get before I'm in danger? Is that the right question to be asking? I reckon a better question to ask is, how far away from the fire can I get? Because when you're covered in petrol, you, the last place you want to be is right next to fire. You want to flee from it. You want to make sure you get away. If you have a girlfriend or a boyfriend, you shouldn't be playing with fire. Seeing how close you can get before you get burned. Seeing how much you can get away with. You should be doing all you can to stay safe, to run away. How far can I go? That's the wrong question. Instead, you should ask, how can we make sure we please God? That's the question to ask. And it's actually the question that we all need to ask, whether you've got a boyfriend or girlfriend or not. Um, we all need to be asking the question, how can I make sure that I please God with my body? How can I flee from sexual immorality? And so I've got a, I've got a bunch of thoughts for you guys. Um, if you've got a boyfriend or a girlfriend, um, establish boundaries straight away. Establish barriers, things that will stop you from falling into sexual immorality. So, for instance, maybe you won't kiss. Maybe uh, you, you won't hang out together alone when there's no one else around. Maybe you won't go, ever go into each other's bedrooms. Um, and you should definitely commit to, together agree, we're going to do anything we can. We're not going to do anything we can. We're not going to do anything... That'll cause the other person to lust. That's the one. Or, 
you might decide not to date until you're older, until you're out of high school. After all, and I, I don't know if this will shock some of you guys, but I can almost guarantee that anyone you date now will not end up your husband or your wife. Very little amount of relationships that start in your seven, eight, or nine turn into marriages. Sometimes it happens, but very irregularly. You might want to wait until you're out, out of high school to date. And here's something else you might be able to do to avoid sexual immorality. Um, if, if looking at dodgy stuff on the internet is an issue for you, then do whatever you have to do to make sure you don't do that anymore. Don't go on your computer unless someone else is around. Or only go on your computer when parents are home. Whatever, it doesn't matter. Just do something, do whatever you have to do to flee sexual immorality. And a quick aside to Christians here. Um, if you guys um, commit to listening to God in this and obeying God in this, uh, it, it will be hard. And you'll probably be very different to people at school. Um, so the people at school won't think about sex the same way you think about sex. They'll consider it to be that second car, but you'll be holding on to it going, nah, this is a Ferrari. But you'll know it's the Ferrari. And it's far, you'll know that it's, it's far more significant than these people around me are talking about it. And so be prepared to be different. Don't join in with their dirty jokes and their crude humor. Trust God in what he says. Trust him that he's good. Trust him that he actually wants what's best for you. Be different. Flee from sexual immorality. I've got one more thing to say and then I'm going to wrap up. Like with all sin, there is forgiveness. There is forgiveness for those who have sinned sexually. We've all sinned and we've all disobeyed, dishonored, displeased God in lots of different ways. And so we all need forgiving. And the beautiful thing is that in Jesus, there is forgiveness. Because in Jesus, God took all our sin upon himself. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us. God took, Jesus took all our sin, including our sexual sin, upon himself when he died on the cross. And so when you trust in Jesus, even your sexual sin was paid for 2,000 years ago. So there is forgiveness for you if you've stuffed up. If you've been sexually immoral, you can be forgiven. There's forgiveness and it's found in Jesus. And that's really good news. So trust in Jesus, be forgiven by God, and then use your body to please God. Use it the way God has designed it to be used and flee from sexual immorality. And remember that being a Christian isn't about being sexually moral. Being a Christian isn't about not having sex before marriage. Being a Christian is about trusting in Jesus to make you right with God. If you, if you don't trust in Jesus and, and you, but you don't have sex before marriage, that doesn't make you right with God. It means nothing. Only trusting in Jesus makes you right with God. But if you are a Christian, then trust God in this. Trust that He's good, that He knows what's best for you, that He wants what's best for you, and obey Him in it. 
God isn't against sex. He's its creator. He's radically for sex. But he wants us to use it how it's been made. And so Christians here, trust God in what he says about sex. He's not out to ruin your fun. He wants what's best for you. And as God, as the creator of sex, he knows what's best. He knows how it should be used. So trust, in, trust him in what he says. I'll pray. Father God, thank you that you are so good. Thank you that uh, you are the creator of all good things. Thank you that you are the creator of sex and that uh, you are the only one who is wise. And as the creator of sex, you know how it should be used. And Father, I pray that you would help us all to trust in you in what you say about sex. Help us not to not be so foolish and arrogant as to think we know better than you, the living God. Help us to trust you, God, and obey you in this. And God, thank you so much that there is forgiveness found in Jesus. Thank you so much that when we trust in Jesus, you wipe our slate clean and you forget it forever. Thank you, God. Amen.